Welcome to Manager Tools. Today's show, Contract Employee One-on-Ones, Part 2. Do you have a management problem that you need help with now? Well, Manager Tools individual licensees get a special customer service email address with a 24-hour turnaround. That's just one of the many benefits of a Manager Tools individual license. Check out the other benefits. An individual license for detailed show notes and slides, access to the interview creation tool for creating the best interview you'll ever give, early previews of upcoming conferences, and the weekly things I think I think emails from Mark, it's a good deal. Check out the details at www.manager-tools.com now. All right, folks, on with the show. So let's talk about the agenda. This is what I want to get to because the one-on-ones, the way we normally recommend them is 10, 10, 10, right? They're 30 minutes long right. once a week, 10 minutes for them, whatever they want to talk about, 10 minutes for you, whatever you want to talk about, which is generally work, right? And then 10 minutes yeah. for the future. Because of our relationship with contractors, though, we're not really responsible for their future development. So what do we do with that last 10 yeah. minutes? We just we do 20-minute one-on-ones or just get rid yeah, of it? Just get, you just get rid of it. Yeah. So we recommend one-on-ones that for many people who do peer one-on-ones or project manager one-on-ones, it's very much like a project manager one-on-one. It's 15 minutes for the contractor and 15 minutes for you. Look, the future portion, that when we talk about this at conferences, the future portion often gets overcome by events, OBE, right? Right. Even for normal one-on-ones with your employees. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. 90% of the time, I would say most managers that are, that are doing one-on-ones faithfully uh, as a way that they manage the work and the people that, that are doing it, they're not having the five or 10 minutes at the end of a one-on-one to talk about the future. They're, they're not stopping at 20 minutes and saying, okay, let's talk about the future. The purpose of the 10-10-10 was because we had managers say to us, hey, look, I really feel once I started doing one-on-ones, and we were, by the way, we were teaching them years ago as 15-15, managers would say to us two things. They would say, Mark, Mike, I am doing one-on-ones and I'm so now down in the weeds. It's so great. I feel like I know so much more about what's going on. I'm not having to guess when somebody complains about somebody. I'm not playing who shot John and spending all kinds of time fact finding. I know what's going on in my team. Thanks to the regular communication. Big surprise there. You didn't have regular communication. You didn't know what was going on. Suddenly you start having regular communication. Good chance you're going to know a lot more about what's going on. So what they'd said is, I'm way more down in the weeds, but I feel like as I develop my relationship, periodically, I want to talk about the future. I want to talk about what their plans are. I want to see how they're doing and what, what they lift our eyes up off of today or this week. And I feel like the more I got down in the weeds, the less often I had those conversations, which is funny because some managers actually said, I don't really know what's going on, but I know that once a quarter, before they did one-on-ones, once a quarter, I probably ought to ask them how they're doing and so on. And they consider that to be relationship building, which no human being would think that you could build a relationship with somebody you see every day, but only really talk to them about what their plans are and how that would fit into the work that you're doing once a quarter. It just doesn't, doesn't make sense. It doesn't hold water. So we teach the idea of 10, 10, 10 for one-on-ones so that every week you have a picture in your mind that, and, and I'm sorry, the other thing that managers said to us is sometimes we do finish early. And I said, okay, well, don't stop at 20 minutes, right? If for some reason you finish, the direct takes 10 minutes and you take 10 minutes. And it's like, wow, 20-minute meeting out of 30 minutes. We got 10 minutes back. We teach the idea. We recommend 10, 10, 10. And in the event that you finish a little bit early, 
you'll be able to say, okay, let's talk a little bit about the future. Where, where are you headed? What are your plans for the next six months, next year? How are you feeling about things? Questions for me for me about, about next steps in your career or jobs you might be interested in, those kind of things. And that's what we want you to have in your head, even though 90 plus percent of the time, a one-on-one, there's so much to talk about when you get more down into the details of the people who are working for you, which by the way, senior executives expect you to know. They don't like it when you say, when they ask you a question in a meeting like, well, where is this guy who's really important to us on this? And you say to him, I don't, let me get back to you. And the executive looks and goes, who would I ask other than you? Say, no, I'd be the guy to ask. Well, why don't you know? Aren't you involved with what's going on on your team? Uh, yeah, I'm just, I need to go double check. Oh, uh, okay. And you feel like, ooh, that didn't go well. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It didn't go well. They expect you to know. Even though if you think, I can't keep track of everybody, you've got to keep track to some level. So we recommend that you do the 10, 10, 10, even though the vast majority of time, it's going to be 15 or 20 minutes for the direct and then 10 or 15 minutes left for you. And you're not going to have time to talk about the future. Well, that future stuff, stuff like, hey, what's your, you know, what are your career plans and those kinds of things. By the way, you could also do coaching during that time. You could talk about their performance versus a plan. You could talk to me, all kinds of stuff, right? Because you not only don't have the need to have those kinds of conversations with your contract workers, but you really aren't allowed to do so because that would make them more like employees as if to suggest that you as their manager, quote unquote, would be able to influence their careers when in fact their career is with another company. The contract one-on-one agenda eliminates that last 10 minutes of the agenda and essentially divides it up equally. So that's why we say 15 minutes for the contract worker and then 15 minutes for you, much like a project manager one-on-one. Because project managers, similarly, even if this person's an employee of the same firm as you, a project manager doesn't have the responsibility to talk about administration uh, or pay or benefits or future and coaching and those kinds of things. So it's similar to the fifteen fifteen, right? The, the contractor gets the first 15 minutes to talk about whatever they want to talk about. And then you get the last 15 minutes for what you want to talk about. Yeah. And that's not to say that the contractor's one-on-one is going to be less personal than your employee's one-on-one. That's a function of the kind of person the contractor and the employees are. Some contractors will want to talk about their families. That's fine. That's how they're going to develop a relationship with you. That's okay. It takes all kinds. That may not be your natural cup of tea. And yet, sometimes your friends are different than you. I'm not suggesting we're befriending people, but in terms of those relationships that begin to develop over time, um, you allow people who you become close to to have a conversation with you about things that are important to them. Yeah. And, and folks, I, I think this is where a lot of folks get hung up because they feel that somehow the relationship with another individual called a contractor or an employee has to be blessed personal because they're not employees. Yeah, and that is, right. in fact, wrong. And folks, you get the last 15 minutes to talk about whatever you want to talk about, which is generally going to be work. 15 minutes a week with one of your contractors is not too much <laughs> to ask. And again, the whole point is that's how you develop a relationship by giving them the time to talk about what's important to them. And again, the reason we're developing the relationship is because you're going to get better results. So even if you're uncomfortable with the idea of spending, quote unquote, personal time with a contractor, get over yourself. You're going to produce better results. And that's what this this is all about. Yeah. And look, let's take it even further. Some employees, some contractors will want to talk about their families. That's fine. Some employees will want to talk all work. That's fine. But let's flip it on his head. Some employees will spend more time on their family. 
That's okay. Some contractors will want to talk about work, 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 work. That's fine too. Okay. And it's totally okay for you to uh, share about your family or not as befits you. Just because one of your contractors or one of your workers talks all about their family, you don't have to share a great deal about your family. I mean, if they say, well, tell me about your family, you say, well, I'm married. I have two kids or three kids or four kids. You don't have to go much further than that. And that's okay. Now, to be clear, you're not going to be coaching your contractors because that would be you behaving more like their supervisor, their managerial supervisor in an employee relationship. Uh, you're not going to be talking about the careers. And frankly, those things are better left to their employer, the contract em- employment company, if in fact there is such a thing as opposed to just working with an individual. So in other words, it's not your firm, but the firm that employs them and hires them can discuss those kind of things with you. And so that's why that 10 minutes for the future goes away. Let me ask you a question, though, because a lot of folks, uh, whether they do one-on-ones or not, if they do one-on-ones, it's more likely to happen. But if they're, if, even if they're not doing one-on-ones, a lot of managers end up having a great relationship with their contractors, right? And, you know, they're, they're down the coffee line or they're sitting down and having coffee in the cafeteria, and this contractor asks them for career advice. Are we saying somehow that in those kind of informal situations, you can't have those conversations? You literally just throw up a wall no. and say, I can't have those conversations with you? No. This does not mean if you've got great contractors and you've got a great relationship that those kind of informal discussions where, frankly, they're patting you on the back or they're giving you a, a, a compliment by doing so. Uh, this does not mean that those kinds of discussions are ill-advised or somehow prohibited. You know, and frankly, again, kudos to you for achieving that kind of relationship. But there is a difference between informal discussions periodically where a contractor broaches a subject and you having a recurring discussion in which the agenda includes discussion about those kinds of agendas, which the 10-10-10 agenda would, or even having a regularly scheduled meeting where, frankly, th- that would probably be legally questionable if you force them by a function of the agenda and being the manager of the work that their company has agreed to do, ask them about their future career plans. Yeah. So you wouldn't do it. And that's why that the 10, 10, 10 agenda changes to fifteen fifteen. Good. Well, that touches on legal concerns pretty directly there. So let's, you know, we, we, we can't talk about everybody's, every country's laws, but which, what's some guidance around the legal, legal concerns about doing one-on-ones with contractors? Yeah, we do know in talking to several international managers, there are similar though not identical rules about the line between employees and contractors. And generally speaking, the U.S. is probably the most lax. But the problem, of course, here is that when it comes to legalities, that phrase I just said, similar though not identical, can be problematic. Most of management day to day is about subtleties and almost no two situations alike and and there are subtly different scenarios and so on. The law tends to be, as gray as it is, there tends to be more clarity in uh, with more bright lines at some point in, in certain situations. So, we're going to address the U.S. definitions and what they mean. And, and we, have, we have found historically that that's very helpful for international managers. We totally encourage our international listeners to find out what they can about the laws in their country. Keep in mind that if you immediately go to HR and say, what are the laws? There are a lot of HR people who say, no, you can't do that. There is case law in the U.S. which says this kind of conversation is totally okay for contract employees. 
And frankly, if you go to HR in the US and you say, look, here are the three things that I know the law says regarding contract employees, the, the common law rules of thumb, and I've thought about it and I'm not having those discussions, HR will probably look at you blankly like, holy crap, a manager actually did some research and it's not hard to find them. HR will likely have a lot of questions because they think about risks and legalities too. It's almost too bad, isn't it, that it seems that sometimes the only people who think about results are the line managers who are responsible for it. Yeah, well, <laughs> not much <laughs> we can do about that today. All right. So, generally speaking, the laws about contractor versus employee determination, right, are written to protect the employee slash contractor, not written to protect the company because the company has the ability to hire and fire, which gives them economic power in the relationship. The reason is, is that companies often will choose to solve, well, I say often, historically they used to do this. They'd call somebody a contractor and then treat them like an employee. Now, you might think that doesn't make sense, but if you assume an overly self-interested company, there could easily be abuse. It's easier to fire contractors. And, and by the way, a thread of this, a theme of this relates to unions, right? Unions exist to protect the rights of the worker, Okay. And unfortunately, unions are often the response to unethical, unprofessional companies that abuse workers. It happens in the same way that there are workers who abuse companies, but companies have more power because they have economic power over the individual. Okay. Companies in the US, for instance, don't have to pay various taxes for contractors. Now, that does mean the pay of the contractor generally is inflated when they contract to a company because they know they're going to have to pay their own self-employment tax and social security tax and so on. Or if they work for a body shop, right? The body shop's got to pay it. Somebody's got to pay yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so the body shop it builds that and says, look, we're going to charge you, you know, 80 bucks an hour for this guy. Well, you know, 80 bucks an hour is a lot of money, isn't it? I mean, grow. If you charge 80 bucks an hour, the general rule is multiply by 2000 and you're talking $160,000 gross. Yeah. And that money comes out, that money goes to the contract firm and there's a different rate that gets paid to the individual. Exactly. I can't imagine anybody listening doesn't know that, but in case you didn't. Yeah, people forget that. They, they see 80 bucks an hour and go, yeah. oh man, that contract is making a lot of money. No, not so much. Yeah, not so much. Yeah. Look, most big companies offer benefits, right? To employees only. It can cost as much as 50% of salary, although there used to be companies at 60% and even more, and there are still some, but there are a lot less. Most companies have trended down over time, Right. But look, they don't have to provide benefits for contractors. So if I could hire a contractor at the same essentially hourly rate as an employee, but then not have to pay that 30 or 40, 50% on top of that because the contractor is a contractor as opposed to an employee, I'm saving a ton of money. It's a pretty good deal. Let's, let's fire all our employees and make everybody a contractor, right? <laughs> exactly. Jeez. Exactly. And of course, you do that. And then you get into the situation where managers are controlling the work. And, and again, we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but now suddenly there really are employees, but we're treating them like contractors. So there are three general, and by the way, folks, we do mean general rules of thumb, common law rules about the differences. And we're going to mention, we're going to talk about each one of them, and then we'll talk more specifically about what that means for our recommendation about one-on-ones. The first one is behavioral, which is basically how much control does the company have over the work the person does? The more control you have, the more likely there are to be an employee. 
Mind you, there are different levels of control and what would work in one industry would suggest in another industry is control is completely hard to predict. It's very hard to predict. The types of instructions you give people, um, and by the way, giving instructions and, and degree of guidance that you give people is often where one-on-ones get pushback from internal legal staff. But in fact, when you think about it, unless you're specifically telling the, the, the software developer, no, I want you to do it this way, and this is how many lines of code I expect you to write, and this is how many per hour, and so on, if that's not in the contract, that would probably be in a gray area toward the black, toward something that's prohibited. But the fact is the vast majority of managers don't do that anyway when it comes to the details of their direct's work. Degree, how much guidance you give matter, but but generally it boils down to the details of the work. Are the people evaluated? In other words, do you evaluate them in detail or just on their results? If they tend to be evaluated only on results as opposed to the processes and systems and so on, then probably um, their contractor as opposed to employer. Does the company provide training? Companies that provide a lot of training to people, those people tend to be employees rather than contractors because generally training is about the details of work. That said, this is kind of a funny area because contractors are always asking for training, right? If they can't get it from the company that employs them and then contracts them out, they ask the company and say, look, I'd I'd be happy to do this, but I'm going to need some training. If you'll pop for the training, I'll do it. And then they get mad when the company doesn't provide it when, in fact, the fact that there's a contract that exists between the employer, between the, the, the main company and the contracting firm prohibits the, the the employer firm the one that's the, the one that's paying for the contractor prohibits them from doing a whole lot of training because that will cause that person to be an employee and what's funny about that is I don't think I think the contractor gets upset because they're like look I'll, I'll I don't know this but I know I can why don't you give me some training and and yeah selfishly they know that benefits them if they're in a technical field or in a specialized field doesn't have to be technical That'd be great. And then they know that benefits them for their career, whether they stay at this firm or not. But what's funny is they mean it sometimes with the best of intentions, and they're stunned that the company says no, and they they blame the company. Well, geez, if you're not going to do the training, how do you expect me to do it? Well, sorry. You know, the relationship we have with you is, is ruled by a few things, and one of them is the laws, including training and behavioral rules of thumb, common law rules about contractors. Another one is financial. How are they paid? Do they have to make a significant investment in order to do the work that they do? Also, are they able to go find work elsewhere? Oftentimes for employees, you're not allowed to seek uh, additional employment elsewhere. They're, the rules about that are, are changing. But generally, contractors, uh, for instance, if, if, if I work for consulting firm X and I'm a technical expert, consulting firm X can contract me to big company A and charge them 20 hours a week for my time or 30 hours a week for my time and then charge 10 hours of my week to some other company. And whereas an employee wouldn't generally do that, you wouldn't be an employee for a full-time job with full-time benefits and so on. And again, you can see this get into a gray area, generally would not be able to do that for two different companies and be an employee at two different companies. Not saying you can't get night work, folks, not saying, but but again, those rules are are constantly changing as the nature of the workforce changes. 
And then lastly, relationship. Is there a contract that exists, right? Is the job offer indefinite versus finite? That's a huge one. If you're managing some contractors and there's a contract with a contracting firm, a firm that provides experts in a particular area, financial or uh, technical in some fashion, the contract generally has an end date. And that would then mean you're not an employee. Much more likely that person would be a contractor. And Again, relationship, if the company provides benefits, that generally tends to make them employees rather than contractors. And I can see why we steer clear of legal issues. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's not perfectly clear. And yeah, lawyers have to be involved to make sure that what is the interpretation of this behavior relative to, to the contract that we have. Um, and nothing, nothing wrong with knowing the contract. I, I'm amazed at the number of managers who have people working for them saying, well, I think the contract says this or that. Okay, show me the contract. No, I don't right. have it. What? What? So how does all that apply to, to one-on-ones? What are the salient points relative to one-on-ones? Yeah. If you have contractors working for you that are employed by another firm with whom your firm has a contractual relationship to provide those people to you as contractors, these issues are already clearly defined. You don't need to worry about their status. The contract does that and you can have one-on-ones with them. As long as you recognize there are some topics, we've already alluded to them, pay, future plans that are off limits. Think of those things as best being left to their employer. And whether their employer chooses to do them well or not is not important. You don't have to worry about those things because they have someone else who's employing them who would have those conversations with them, not just because it's legally okay for them to have it, because people expect that from their employer. So, you know, although it's not directly specifically about one-on-ones, one of the topics that comes up all the time in one-on-ones is, is can I get feedback on one-on-ones, right? And the, and the answer is yeah. yes. So. So let's put that in the context of contractors here. Let's assume that feedback yeah, comes up in one-on-ones. Can I give feedback in one-on-ones or can I give feedback in general to contractors? I guess is even a more broader question. Yes, you can. Feedback is completely fine. I uh, There's case law on this as well. There's nothing. Think about it this way. Is there anything in the law that you think would say, would cause us, a manager, to believe that they couldn't say this to a contractor? Hey, you did this. It created a good result. Thank you. Or do we think that the law would say, hey, you did this. It created a bad result for us. Can you do that differently next time? Think about it. The feedback model is not built on saying you have to do it my way. It doesn't mandate a certain set process. Right. The, the, the contractor could choose to do it a different way. And if they get the results you want, that's what you want. That's what contracting tends to separate results from the methods. Right. Exactly. That's the whole, that's the whole distinction. That's one of the distinctions between contractors yeah. and employees, right? With contractors, it's the result that matters and you're not supposed to really yeah. get into the process. And that's perfect for the feedback model because we simply ask them to do it differently. We don't tell them how to do it. And Right. And here's the problem with this. People in HR and legal and so on, the senior people say, no, you can't do that because you're crossing the line. No, we're not crossing the line. The reason they say that is their definition of the line is any kind of detail work at all with a contractor is inherently false. That's just because their definition of the line is way whacked out. 
If you have a contractor who is writing code as part of a module that you have to present to somebody else internally, it's okay to ask them to review their module. It's completely okay. Now, you're not saying you have to change that line, although frankly, if in fact that line was what was broken, it's completely legitimate to say that line causes the result to be bad. You need to change the way you write that line to allow us to get the result like this. Right. But the line has been drawn so far toward, well, we can't get into the details, that the idea that you would say, I notice a specific behavior you did that created a bad outcome, please change that behavior. That's not controlling their behavior. That's not controlling their process. That's that that's asking for results that deliver on the contract. So feedback is totally fine. Good. Okay. And as long as we're talking about the entire trinity here, how about coaching? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Coaching is not fine, though. Coaching is not because you would be getting into the details of their work. You'd be agreeing on steps that they would take day to day, week to week using the manager tools coaching model. What's more, it tends to be about future performance, improving performance, which is what an, you, a manager would do with an employee, but not with a contractor. We expect, we expect the contractor to the contracting company who manages them and who who they get a paycheck from. Because of course, a contractor doesn't get it. If I'm Procter & Gamble and I've hired Accenture to do a bunch of technical work for us, the paycheck that goes to my contractors doesn't say Procter & Gamble. It says Accenture, which folks, by the way, affects how you ought to be doing your resume. You don't get to say you worked for Procter & Gamble. You do get to say you worked at Accenture and one of the projects was for Procter & Gamble. But too many people try to list their projects as I work for Procter & Gamble and Coke and GE and Apple and so on and that. That's a no-no. Right. You don't get to do that. Your employer is Accenture, and that's who you have to put down on, on your resume. What's interesting is this not only makes it clear about contractors, it also makes it clear about employees. It, yeah, coaching is not fine for contractors. But why would an employer not want to be to have managers aligned with their employees about what the future plans of the employee are and so on? Right. I mean, why wouldn't right. you? And, and frankly, the moment we expect that that kind of thing to be done by the contracting firm, you have to say, well, I guess that means for my employees, I ought to be coaching them, too. Yeah, it works that way, too. Yeah. OK, so we might as well be complete here, too. Right. Because let's, let's talk about delegation. You know, purpose of delegation is to develop your employees, get stuff off your plate. And typically right. with an employee, you have no problems at all about delegating exactly. something, a managerial responsibility to one of your yep. directs is, is a form of developing them. Of course, with contractors, we're not responsible for developing them. So for a lot of what would typically be delegation tasks, you would not do, yeah, unless we're yeah. directly related to the work that they're contracted to do. Yeah, the general rough rule is you don't delegate because delegation is only stuff that you do that is recurring. You wouldn't delegate that. You right. wouldn't delegate stuff. You could assign work that is within the scope of the contract. Right. That's assigning work. That's the distinction between assigning work and delegating. Which we have a podcast about. Exactly yeah, of course right. we do. Of course yeah. we do. There's a cast for that. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. There's a cast for that. And, and let's go further. Updates on the status of work. Asking a contractor for that. Completely reasonable. Asking about whether or not they've met their deadlines. Completely normal, completely reasonable. Learning about them personally, of course, is not prohibited in any way in any legal uh, reading of this situation. Giving guidance about possible actions they might take to unknot a problem, to, to solve a problem, is totally reasonable. Suggesting they talk to somebody else on the contract or not as it relates to their work is also fine. You're not mandating anything by making recommendations about next steps. You can't control their work relative to rewards and punishments, but that doesn't preclude talking about work processes 
and ultimately encouraging good work, which is why they're there. Awesome. That's it. That's it. We, we normally don't end on legal notes, but, but I think it's helpful. And, and frankly, folks, all you have to do is say, type in to Google, you know, definition of a contract worker, and you'll find U.S. government documents, at least for U.S. managers, that really help with this. So let's just wrap up. We recommend you do one-on-ones with your contract employees. You do a standard rollout, nothing fancy. We've got another cast on that. There's a cast for that. We recommend the 1515 agenda, not 101010. And we want you to know about the legal concerns. Be ready for it. Do a little study for those of you with individual licensees. Download the show notes and, and, and study them for a minute in case you get HR saying, hmm, I have a question. Okay. Be considerate of the nature of the contractor in terms of whether or not there's a project manager. Be aware that your contractors, you might decide to see your contract workers as skips. Okay. But on the other hand, if your project manager is only there once a week, they're really not skips to you. That project manager is really not managing their work day to day. He or she is managing the relationship with you. Look, frankly, contract employees are likely to increase in the years ahead. Since they matter to your ability to deliver results, better relationships with them are valuable in terms of creating better results. And look, that's enough to know. But the fact is, the more frequent communication you have will increase the chances that you're able to reward, appreciate, and folks, even consider hiring the best ones. That happens, right? And the better you know them, the easier it is to figure that out. And if for some reason they're not doing well, more frequent communication will give you more data to go to the contracting company and say, gee, this is not working out. Can we have somebody different? That's always hard, but in some cases, it's the right thing to do. And this is all about work and get, being more productive, and relationships matter in terms of highly productive work. Even contractors. <laughs> yep, even contractors. <laughs> all right, my friend. Thanks. Thanks, partner. We'll see you. Thanks, everyone. That's it. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you all next week. Meantime, have a great one. So long. <laughs>